It's Happy Hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy Hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's neworleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stall, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limousine or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you. Because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleans in a bar today, we're at the fabulous Wayfair on Ferret Street, where I stand corrected, they have a three-hour happy hour here every day, Andrew Duhon. Not four, like Ooh. we've been saying for the last five the years. Times are changing. Yeah, so things are really tightening up over here at the Wayfair. I guess it's, it's so busy, I guess they're not interested in giving away an extra hour of half-price drinks. But for those three hours, which I assume is from 3 to 6 p.m., right, Ariane, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's three. It is that's three. three that's three hours, right? Three yeah. to six is three. Thank you. That drinks are half price and the bar food is half price as well. So that's the uh, that's all I've got to tell you. Mm-hmm. Other than to say thank you very much to Basics on Magazine Street and Hangover Destroyer and the Positive Vibrations Foundation, all of whom helped make the show possible. And I'll tell you a bit about more about them in a minute. And if you'd like to be a part of our Patreon family, go to patreon.com and search for It's New Orleans Happy Hour. And for as little as a dollar a month, you two can get extra stuff that you don't hear on the show, which I'm not sure what that is. C-Rock, do we know what that is even? <laughs> Not yet. No. Something. It's going to be something extra. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So look who's here. Lauren Siegel is here. Is the final person who we have not had on the show from Trapwise. <laughs> Wait till next month. Wait till next month? Are there more people over at Trapwise oh, yeah. who we There's don't know? There's a lot more. Well, it's nice to see you here. You too. Thank and you for having us. Andrew, do you know what Lauren does? Have a guess. Um, she's a, a, a travel uh, a booker. No. Have, well, I'll give you one more guess, and that's all I'm giving you. <laughs> She's the director of brand and culture. How did you know that? Because he handed me the sheet. Oh, yeah. She is a director of brand and culture at Trapwise. What sort of culture do they have over there at Trapwise? We have a great culture. What, yeah. does, that, what does that even mean? So you're in charge um, of the company or the c- culture of So the I actually clients? have two roles over at Trapwise. Uh, director of brand and culture is kind of a new one. Past few weeks. Yeah, Past we've few had weeks. A, a few big uh, title changes. Yeah, Congrats. it feels very wow. uh, fancy to have a director okay. in front of my name. What were you yeah. before that? So I was an advisor, which is a client-facing role, and I still do that, too. Client-facing. Um, Sim, mm-hmm. are you familiar with client-facing, what that means? I'm familiar with clients, and I'm familiar with, with faces. Facing. Uh-huh. Okay. Sim yeah. Ward is here from Wisnia. He's an architect at Wisnia, right, Sim? Yes, sir. Did you know that, Andrew? I, I had no idea. No idea. Guess what Ariane Keelan does? She is a vocalist. How Keep, did you know? Yes. How did you know that? I heard that? you check that microphone. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> oh, okay. Ariane's a gospel singer, like a famous gospel singer. Killer. That's awesome. I was interested to read your biography and stuff online and realize that there's a whole like parallel universe oh, yeah. of gospel singing that I didn't even know existed until about half an hour ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I did it a little bit longer than that, about an hour, actually. But that's yeah. pretty interesting. So you're like a big deal, actually. Kind of. I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty humble, but gospel's in my soul. So I do, right. I do gospel, soul, R&B. I think that was kind of the foundation of it all. So I, I can't all really that. see you. Are well, the sun's really here? The bright, sun is right and it's not you. like yesterday with all that rain. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, it feels great out there. So that's pretty exciting to have an actual <laughs> like gospel star. Because I'm surprised anyone who knows anything about gospel music would do this show, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, I think you know, gospel it should go outside should, of the church. It should be everywhere, and it's see, it's the music in me. So I'm happy to be here. Are you an and evangelist? I'm born and raised in, in New Orleans. You know right, what I mean? So you have to be drinking. So, yeah, are you, are, you an, are you an evangelist for Christ or anything? Or? I'm a minister of the gospel. You know, I'm saved and I'm, you know, I gave my life ti- over. So. What was your title before you were saved? I was Ariane then and I'm still Ariane. Okay. Yeah, because Lauren I didn't go to had a different school. title. 
Yeah, her title changed to director <laughs> right. in the last week or so. Yeah. But did you get a new title when you got saved? Uh, no, I just born again. That, well, that's a title. Mm. I don't know if it's about the titles, though. Do you get, like, a B.A. after your name? Like, everyone else gets <laughs> yeah. fancy letters when they transition nice. from one thing to another? <laughs> well, and, you know, you get saved, and you believe that you're, you have a, a reason to live. And so, for me, you know, that's enough. And I have a relationship, so for me, it's, it's not about, like, judging other people and what they're doing. It's, right. It's about living my best life and letting other people see that and hoping that it... I wish I could see I know see you can't it. see me, but so how did hoping you, you can hear it. I, how did you get saved, actually? So, um, a little bit about me. I grew up in the church. Um, my parents are actually pastors, right? And well, so yeah, I know I was a PK. What's that? No, PK, preacher's kid. So, a little, <laughs> little education. Yep. Both your parents are pastors. Both of my parents. Yes. How'd they meet? So I grew up in the house. My parents are from New Orleans, and they met at, at Xavier University. So I'm also a legacy. I went to Xavier, too. Wow. And, were um, either of them preachers at Xavier? They weren't preachers at Xavier. What were my, they studying? Pharmacy? Well, my dad, no. <laughs> my dad and my mom were in the music department. My ah. mother is a vocalist. She did opera music. Oh, wow. Um, and my dad was playing French horn and doing drama. <laughs> Actually, my uncle was there, too, but that's another story. I could see uh, why you'd go <laughs> into the church if you were playing French horn. Yeah, because you, you have to do something else, right? He could share his story, but um, they weren't saved when they met. They and, weren't, um, and they and they got married, and they were both, you know, involved in church. My mother was Catholic, devout Catholic. My dad was growing up in the AME African Methodist Episcopal Church here in New Orleans, and you know, they they he got called, so he actually had a dream of where he was, what he was supposed to do in life. This is your dad. My dad. And my mom, you know, that it hit her as well. So then they together formed and started a church based on the gospel, you know, of, of Jesus Christ. And and I grew up in that, and I found relationship with him. So I just knew that I wanted to have, um, I wanted to know where I was going when I left this earth, right? And so well, that's how I got saved. That's how you got into it? You want to know what was going to happen to you after you die? Absolutely. That's how the, that's how the church works, though. That's how they get you. Because they make you think. <laughs> That you that you could actually go to hell. Well, it's, that's the yeah, system. Yeah, there is a heaven and there is a hell. Right, see, once you buy into that, then you have to stop yourself going to hell, and yeah. then you have to go to church all the time. That's the system, <laughs> right? You know, actually, it was really about that was the beginning, and then I learned more about just having a relationship with God, and understanding what prayer is all about, and making that a lifestyle. Because you know, I think that's really that's like fire and damnation, just to tell people you're going to hell. But it is a security, you know, and it is the truth. And so for, for me, for my life, it is about, you know, having that relationship. Right. And, well, um, do you believe, Sim, do you believe you're going to hell? <laughs> well, I didn't expect to get asked that today. Y'all giving well, me the deep think, questions I today. I'm going to go around about way of answering that question. I think it's interesting to hear your background because yeah. my background is so similar and so really? different. And I think that's what's fun about groups like this is that yeah. we all have that. We just don't realize it. So my parents are both musical. They met in a choral group. But, you know, one big difference is, you know, I'm Jewish. And okay. I don't know that much about Jesus Christ saving me. Yeah. Or Jesus or was Jewish, actually. I've heard that. I don't know too <laughs> so much about right. it. But I know about it in a different context and that my parents are both very musical. And my father is a professor of Middle Eastern religion. So Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Yeah. Wow. And so whether or not I'm going to hell or to heaven, I don't really know if I believe in that paradigm, but I can definitely relate to 
uh, whatever you feel about organized religion, and for me that changes every single day, that that lifestyle impact of being cognizant of your actions and, and uh, that there's a large community I can very much relate to. The motivations are, I think, different for everyone. Right. That you, was a non-answer answer. Well, are you Jewish by great. practice, though? Are you, do you do anything? Absolutely I'm Jewish by so practice. Are you seri- so do you, is there a Jewish hell? I don't think there is. I think that... Uh, Lauren, do you have anything about this? There is not. There There's is like not. eternal are you Jewish? purgatory. I'm Jew-ish. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, I haven't heard that one. Okay. I was, I was raised... Oh, I just lost I just my... Lost. Me too. Yeah. What's going on there? I lost Uh-oh. them too. This was fun, guys. These are like, <laughs> these are like the first date questions that Ooh, you shouldn't ask. <laughs> it's this thing here yeah, is the but problem. You're gonna get them on here. Okay. Okay. When's the last first date you went on? Are you married or single? I am engaged. You're engaged. Yes. Oh yeah. So dating is all over. It's for over. You. Really happy okay. about that. Yeah. When's the big date? Well, hold on. November. Hold on. November. And, and is it a big Jewish wedding? <laughs> it's not. It's a 12-person wedding in Thailand. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You pay a lot less for decorations. Are you marrying somebody who's Thai or are you having a destination wedding? I'm not. I am marrying a guy from Kenna, bro. From Kenna? (laughs) (laughs) So you're dragging the guy from Kenna all the way to Thailand so you don't have to have a big wedding. That's right. Good thinking. Whose idea was that? Yours or his? It was mine. Yeah. He went along with it. Okay. You wanted to go further, but you that's know. the wise and trepwise. That's why you're the director of culture. Right. <laughs> so, but, so you, where did you grow up then? Here? I grew up here in New Orleans. So, were you part of the Jewish community here? Sorta. Mm-hmm. Which community? Which synagogue? I went to Turo. Turo. Mm-hmm. Which one do you go to? Sim. You don't. So you're making it up. You no, don't no, belong no. to. It. So I, I am a lapsed member of okay. a conservative synagogue on Esplanade called the Shir Hadash, but I usually attend a a traditional synagogue on Carondelet Street called Anche Sephard. Called what? Anche Sephard. It's a very interesting uh, historic building. What language is that even? That is Hebrew. Is it? Yeah. Anche Sephard. It's in Central yeah, so, City, right? It, yes, it's on Central yeah, City. It's right and by it's, our office. It's pretty Beautiful. interesting. Uh-huh. It's like a time capsule. You know, not everyone realizes this, but Central City was an enormous Jewish community 100 right. years ago. Uh, O.C. Haley had a number of uh, Jewish businesses up and down it. And there are very large historic synagogues that are no longer serving that function. The only one that remains is Anche Sephard. And Sephard is, uh, I guess there's two major branches of Judaism, European or Spanish and Oriental. And Sephard, what, Anche Sephard was that Sephardic tradition, Spanish and Oriental synagogue right. in New Orleans. Huh. So are you a Sephardic Jew? That's a Eastern. I am not. You're the other ones. You're the I'm Ashkenazians. The so yeah. you just switched over. So it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Sunni and the Shiite Muslims. I don't know enough to answer that question, but my it? sense of it is, it is not that. It's not like that at all. Not quite, because I don't think there's. It's a, like nectarines and peaches, not apples and oranges, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like Methodist one's and Baptist. And one's there's not really a difference between Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, and AME and so on. I think is it's there? more like aluminium oh, yeah. and aluminum. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 I think it's more like that. I thought, it was, it I thought it was where, they, yeah. where people came from, and it was more of a cultural difference, really, than a it religious is. difference. It is. It's a cultural. It's, right. it's aluminium and aluminum. Aluminium and aluminium. Okay. So what is the, what's the sort of driving force of your... Which church do you belong to? What is it called? So I'm a member of Christian Faith Ministries. That's my our home church. But I think it's important to know 
I don't like the box. Right. Right. I actually have a song called Out of the Box because I think when we we say we're just gospel, then it's like, you know, immediately you see us, see me through a certain lens. But if, if you look at my body of work, it's I'm on the Apollo. Like, I've been to yeah. the Essence Fest and I sing at weddings and I do conferences. And You've for actually me, it's played my on the stage at the Apollo Theater. Yes. That's pretty... Twice. Twice. Actually, three times. And that has been one of the best moments in my life. No um, kidding. The Essence Fest that was here in, like, 2016, they did Apollo Making a Star. And so... I auditioned. Like, I got in line. I got there early, ready to sleep with my stuff. And long story short, I won that competition. I sang on the main stage at the uh, the big stage on the Essence Fest that with Andre Day. That is the best version of long story short I've ever heard. You're yeah. lining up outside, and the next minute you've won. I've won. And, it, you know, then the winnings was sent me to New York. Right. And I performed Aretha Franklin, and I did a Fantasia song. And just to be on that stage where the legends, yeah, you yeah. know, before were... Uh, was just amazing. So it's not fair to call you just a gospel singer, is yeah. what you're saying. You're not really. Gospel is my root. Um, right. I, I believe I'm I'm called, but I'm called to masses. So okay. these doors are opening up for me because I'm not going to change who I am. But my talent is like almost bigger than that. So that's why Jazz Fest opens to me, and I've you know done the Bayou Boogaloo, and I'm you know I'm hoping to continue to move on that path. You know, I'm, I'm a so New Orleans look, girl. Ready yeah. To so move. you don't want to be labeled as a just gospel. gospel singer. You yeah. Want, so what Nothing would you like? wrong with gospel. Just right. Because I definitely sing it, and right. I sing it every Sunday now. Right. To be clear. <laughs> people who sing the blues aren't necessarily sad people. Yeah. You know? Think I, about Gladys Knight. Atheists sing gospel songs, truth yeah. be told. I think gospel <laughs> is a door opener. for It's it's a connector, yeah. honestly. I mean, I remember my most moving moment was... Um, the, I think it was one of the, the races, and it was a, the only time I've ever run 13 miles in my life. I don't know. It was crazy. Yeah. But they had the, the, the church on Napoleon and St. Charles. They had, like, their choir out just, like, singing while all the awesome. runners were running Memorial. by. And I was just like, oh, my God. It's so inspiring, and it's really beautiful. And it, that's and a good it way to get religion when you're exhausted and you can't <laughs> yeah, get a breath. That's right. That's, that's, that's the perfect time to feel God. Uh-huh. Yeah. I want to inspire I think you. it was mile nine, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had four miles. Well, that's a long way to go, 13 miles. You've never done it again. No. So now not, I just do it for fun. Not that far. 13 miles. Do you, do you run every day? Not every day, but a few times a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you work out? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I do walking. Walking, that's a good this idea. This is me getting back into what I need to be doing. Yeah, I'm also a mom. That's not an excuse. No, that's real. But, that's like, really? <laughs> I, I know that before I that's had my eight and my four-year-old. So, basically, mm-hmm. you're stronger than a weightlifter. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. Basically. I'll take them outside. I remember and we, that We've gotten on the bike. You know, I'll play basketball with them. And then... Yeah, the other stuff is just trying That's to count steps. Yeah. So you brought Reggie Nick with you here, Jay. Reggie He's in the background. He's not allowed to say anything, apparently. Absolutely. Well, he didn't want to. Reggie, <laughs> do, you, do you want to say anything, Reggie? <laughs> he just wants Reggie? to say it with his No, he doesn't want to say anything. He wants to be quiet. <laughs> All right. So do you want to play something, you guys? Yeah, come on. What are you, thinking of, what are you thinking of playing? I just want to let y'all hear something that I wrote. Yes. Yes, that would be great, especially yeah. since we're not going to get sued for that. <laughs> Nobody, nobody can come after us. What are you playing? No, playing? this one is actually a song I wrote called "Can I Ever." Um, it's really more of a like a gratitude song. So, and this has not been heard by anyone. Just yet. are you serious? So right. a, oh my god! Okay, so world go. premiere. World premiere. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, heaven yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> heaven yes. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. 
so pure I did not deserve all your grace My heart can embrace all your love The way that you give Just so I can live I'll never forget Can I ever thank you? cry thought I'd call you to tell you Jesus loves you and cares and you mean the world to me you are my everything yeah yeah though I Nice job. Look at that, actually. Music hits everywhere. It's harder to sing when you're sitting down than standing up. It's a little easier standing. But, you know, I lift my hands when I'm seated so I can Uh, really belt it out. What's the intimidation factor like of sitting at a tiny little table with everyone staring right at you? Yeah, I think I'd rather large crowds because I don't feel like anyone's staring right at me. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been doing this for a minute, so I don't know. I I actually feel comfortable because we were, like, talking and stuff, so I appreciate that. But you you had such control of even your volume. You know, your intonation was really beautiful, but you I think you, you like you were in this restaurant and so you, you weren't loud, you know, but oh. you still was re, it was really melodic and I don't, I, that's not easy to do, mm. I imagine, you know. So it's still powerful. Like I'm on American Idol right now. Like this is a great <laughs> feedback. Well, um, um how yeah, much uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um great well, assignment. My intonation was awesome. Yes, without you. a doubt. Zero. <laughs> You can be Paula. <laughs> Paula, Paula's me. Okay. Yeah, you rocked it. You rocked it. Yeah. Girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. So, can people steal your music just like they can secular music? Yeah, it works the same way. But you know, you can this find stuff you on is Spotify and copywritten. So. But are you on Spotify and? 
Yeah, I am on, on, on YouTube, Spotify, everything. YouTube, Instagram. Um, my videos out there. My song here with you. It's yes. out there. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on everywhere. Um, follow me on Facebook, okay. Instagram, Twitter. So, so they sent me this stuff about you. And it says What'd here, you get? This is an interesting sentence. Okay. It says uh, her Apollo journey was documented in a four-part miniseries. There's like a TV show about you? Yes. They call them webisodes. How about that? Why are okay. you so much more interesting than the rest of us? <laughs> she's like Excuse a superstar. I'm trying to tell you. She's been on the Apollo oh, yes. She has a show. <laughs> you know, when you say I'm like, superstar. I got a job. That's why I'm But that's here. what I'm saying. There's <laughs> like we all a, know I got a job, too. But there's like a parallel universe. Yeah. Of yeah. people who are following you and watch you and know who you are, and you're a star to those people, and we don't. It's amazing cool. how yeah. that happens. Well, how I'm everything is so fractured now. Right. Yeah, now right. Well, that's the point of doing this, exactly. It reminds me of this cruise I went on, and you know how you have karaoke on the cruise, and so I sang like Whitney Houston, and the host, <laughs> she was just like, "Diva superstar." I was yeah. like, she would always say that, so I had to keep getting up and singing. So, who did you on a cruise with? That. Huh? Who did you go on a cruise with? My husband, my wonderful oh. husband of okay. 10 years, Tyrone, shout out. Shout out Tyrone. Yeah. What's he doing say, for Valentine's Day for you? Well, I do know that he has saved up. Oh. So saved up. I oh. am like looking forward to this. So I, that's all I know. No, right. I'm excited, Okay, you can explain this yeah. to me. I'm a mommy, so I'm okay, like so ready what's to go the deal, on a date. Uh-huh. What, what is the deal? <laughs> that why is Valentine's Day on guys? Lauren, you're. A, I was about to ask you, the same question. You're the okay. You're the you're <laughs> the culture question. manager. Tell me. So, what are you, so, director of culture? So yeah, I will say that in my relationship, I'm the one who made the reservations. I'm the one who bought the chocolates. Although I hope he's not listening because he's not supposed to know. But um, well, yeah, he would so have done something sweet for it's you. It's on me. So, okay. Yeah. So it's not all on guys. No, I don't think so. I so think what you, you should do, only you... expect what you give. You should only expect. That's well. why. That's why you're the director of culture. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. What does that mean? It means that, well, brand and culture. So the brand piece is translating what we do externally, and the culture piece is making sure that we have a solid foundation to perform our work. So we have a supportive team. We have a lot of learning opportunities. We have professional growth. We have um, just a really great environment inside of our offices so we can be the best we can for so our So you guys clients. have bean bags and stuff, and that's your job. We have a shuffleboard table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We have um, you know moments where we sit around and eat cake together and drink champagne, and then we have moments where we go out. And so, yeah, you're responsible for organizing all this bullshit sort of yeah, all that bullshit. Sounds it's important. It's, it Otherwise, is. we would is work it? all the time and be grumpy right. people and not do our jobs very well. I don't know. What What do you feel about You have a proper job, Sim, right? You're working in a corporate environment with other people. You're an architect, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'd say that I'm coming from a multinational conglomerate to a regional New Orleans-based company, and corporate environment can mean a lot of different things. I think we've spent a lot of this conversation talking about labels and then poking holes in them. Right. And uh, I think that's pretty interesting. When you meet someone for the first time, the way our brains are wired, we want to say, okay, you're in this box. box. Right. Mm -hmm. So from an outside perspective, you might say, I'm in a, I work a proper job. I do eight to five or seven to six or more than that all the time. And I dress up more than in my PJs. But from my perspective, it's not as corporate because I worked for a subsidiary of a Dutch multinational for five years. So I think... What, what does that, that mean? mean? What is that? <laughs> what does that mean? I a work business for... Business gobbledygook. Yeah. 
Say that Capital sentence again. I work for the what? <laughs> so I spent, before I, I went to Tulane, and then I moved to Washington, D.C. for about five years. Okay. While I was in Washington, D.C., I worked for a company called RTKL, four letters. R-T-K-O. L. L. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they are owned by a Dutch multinational engineering company called Arcadis that had 25,000 employees around the world. That's a big deal. So it was a company within a company. Looks like the sort of the... So when you talk to me about corporate, my job in New Orleans feels a little bit less corporate than that. What made you go back to... Are you from D.C. originally? I am not. So where are your parents? Where's your dad teaching comparative religion at? My dad teaches religion at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. Is that where you're from, or is that where I'm he from is? Denver, Colorado. Okay. All right. And I was Any born in Israel. Oh. You really were. That's why I have the interesting name. That's why you have the name Simcha. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's why, but part of the part of the. So family. who's Israeli? Just you. Are your parents Israeli? Well, it's it's complicated. Um, okay. To make a long story short. <laughs> I have three or four grandparents that were displaced in Eastern Europe in the 30s and 40s. Uh, my grandfather spent a lot of time in Palestine and then in Israel through that whole craziness of that whole war period and had to leave and went to the States. And my parents then went back. We have family over there as well. I was born there and then came back again. Okay. Following that, Andrew? Yeah, I actually spent some time in Israel this uh, this past year. They have a program that invites uh, a group of people in the music biz over as a little contingent to go. You know, and a, a lot of them are, are from a Jewish heritage. I was not. Uh, I grew up Catholic, but uh, it was an opportunity to go and see. And frankly, I didn't have a whole lot of backstory on it yet. But I read Thomas Friedman's book. Uh, route to Israel, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yep, and it was it, that's that felt like a pretty, pretty great way to, you know, get a crash course. But it was great uh, to to get a sense of of the fraught and you know historic uh, or ancient rather is the word I'm looking for uh, history that you just won't wrap your mind around. But uh, but what a thing! And it was really helpful also to kind of. Uh, introduced me to Jewish culture in a way that I, I had not known as a Catholic kid growing up in the suburbs of New Orleans. But what a place, you know. Do you go back there, Sam? Yeah, I do. Okay. You want more than that? <laughs> sure. Is there any more? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's far, right? Um, and I think, you know, Andrew touched on it. It has a very complicated... Uh, and long history and I, when I try to make it very simple for people I said there's a reason everyone's been fighting about it for 3,000 years it's because it's an incredible incredible place where you have almost every climate type in the world packed into something that's you know could fit into like Pontchartrain quite frankly right. it's very very small uh, last time I went back was two, 2015 so not as frequently as I would like it's far and Right. Uh, so can you, do you have family that you can stay with? Absolutely. So that makes it better. Yeah. That makes it a lot less expensive. It's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Where do they live? In the city or in the country or what? Well, so, I mean, it's a small country. Uh, and if we want to really dive into this, I have fam most of my family in Israel uh, is on the very far left of the spectrum. Politically. Politically. Um, and lives in Tel Aviv and Haifa and the surrounding areas. 
And then most of my friends that I grew up with in the state, in the states, who have moved there or moved there with their family for either religious or politically motivated reasons, fall much more on the right and yeah, might are settlers or anything else like that. It's like people who come from Mardi Gras, you know, they're the ones who are fucking everything up. You know, I didn't say that, but uh, <laughs> it's that. it's complex, right? It's and so there's reasons and rationale that both hold their views right. and things that are correct and incorrect about everything. Um, but I think, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Pretty interesting to have another culture to be able to go home to in a sense, though. I think, well, but I think a point to be made there that I, I gather when you say that your relatives are coming from the left or whatever, I, there there is a moderation or there is a moderate stance that one will find when they look their historic enemy in the eye, I think, and hear their story and share stories. That's that's what I heard, and and that's that's conjecture, but uh, but I think people who are on the ground in in places where uh, um, in the script are sworn en- enemies on the streets are buying the same groceries and talking to each other, and it's you know. New Orleans is the perfect example mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm where sometimes the power structures will try to get different groups to go this way or that way, and yet somehow we all still go down to the parades and are sitting there side by side enjoying each other's companies. Mm-hmm. So I'd say... the Saints. Yeah, or we're enjoying yeah. the Saints. Right. We have so much... We have much more than unites us than divides us. Right. And it's... Uh, well, you live in New Orleans and you travel to the Middle East. Do you think that you could... Is there an example in New Orleans that you could solve the Middle East peace crisis? <laughs> From championships um yeah i don't know i mean i don't i don't think i can solve much <laughs> really you haven't had an epiphany i have on, not on flight i have not thing. had an epiphany <laughs> um i mean i think that we struggle with a lot of the same things here honestly that we're struggling with all over the world it's pretty simple if you treat everyone equally and invest in everyone and give everyone the same opportunity better things happen Everybody says that they do that, though, but somehow it doesn't I don't think everyone says they do that. Don't you think that? Isn't that written in the Constitution, even? (laughs) Yeah, but it was was written in the Constitution (laughs) and disenfranchised more than half the country at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the whole thing. People say, I mean, everybody will tell you, every politician and every person in the church and everywhere will tell you, that everybody's equal and we treat everybody equally and everybody gets right, a fair let me, shake. Let me put it in really, con- let me put it in really concrete yeah, terms. Fair. What opened my eyes. I grew up uh, probably drinking a little bit more of the Zionist Kool-Aid than I should have, but I think that there's a lot of principle and rightness to that. But what made it very clear for me, I work in architecture, urban design, building things, and I never realized that uh, Muslim communities who are citizens of Israel do not get the same amount of infrastructure investment that Jewish communities do. Mm-hmm. We see the exact same thing in New Orleans. I don't need to mm-hmm. spell it out any more clearly than that. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether or not they're enfranchised or have the same amount of votes or have political power or anything else, that's the reality of how appropriations flow. Right. And until that changes, you're going to have people that want to divide. Well, that's just what I was just exactly saying the same thing. That you can say <laughs> one thing, but it doesn't actually work out in practice. Because that, that, we live in a system that perpetuates... So it's the system. It's the system. It's a systemic challenge. So how do we change it? You're a systems person, right? Sort of. Okay, so how do we change the system? Change the culture. Ah. One person at a time. (laughs) But isn't the system the opposite of one person at a time? Isn't the system system the underlying... The system is the collective of the people. Yeah. Is it just a collective of individuals, or is it some bigger, grander tapestry? 
it's the collective of, of individual influence that, that leads to the greater power. I'm not following yeah. that, Andrew. You... I mean, we work, when we do work with organizations, one of the biggest challenges that they have is getting advocacy to change policy. So, for instance, if we're looking at the education system, we're working with um, some organizations that provide technical education to our high school students so that they can have an alternate path to college, because that's not for everyone. Not everyone learns in a classroom. So some kids want to do media art, some kids want to do construction, whatever it is, they can have a viable future. However, there's huge problems at the state level that are not permitting enough funding to get to these organizations to fulfill this work. Um, and that that's because the system has always expected kids to go to college and that that's the only viable pipeline for right. growth into adulthood. So it's something that we see a lot. And the way to change it is by getting that one director to meet with the other directors to form a cohort and go through an advocacy organization like Youth Force NOLA um, who can help, you know, connect them to those policymakers and make that influence happen. Okay, is anybody following that apart yeah. from it? Well, no one's following <laughs> Okay. So what is the practical result of all this? The practical result yeah. is policy change. Policy change. Yeah. So that funding can get to the right place so that we actually do have equity in education rather than just a system that says that everyone is equal when it's actually not true. So do you believe in the, like the, the socialist revolution or? I don't know if that's what I'm saying. That's, that's a little <laughs> intense. <laughs> so you just think, you, but you, otherwise you're relying on people's goodness. Yeah, you're relying on the desire of each person to make an impact. And I think it goes back to the faith conversation and heaven and hell, right? Some people have heaven and hell while they're on earth. And as long as you believe that you're working towards your heaven, whether that's now or, or after you pass, then that's your impact. And that drives people to make change happen. That's how you kind of inspire others to follow along with you. The greater goal yeah. at the end of the... Yeah, and we, we need those people in our lives to kind of... Make find the common work. I would say it's finding that commonality. Mm -hmm. I think you're saying that as well. What's the what's the benefit for everyone? And then finding those. I'll say I have a change. It's change management right. background too. So do you? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I <laughs> I won't plug my company, but I do work. I've worked in change management. I've done marketing and HR, so organizational health. Um, change and, management. And most of it. Didn't make it. <clears throat> you heard of that? <laughs> no. What is Most change of it management? Is, it's about influence because mm -hmm. change is it's always happening, but it's preparing people preparing people for that because when you change something so drastic, so a system that's always mm -hmm. existed the same way, then the culture expects that. But when someone wakes up and says, "You know what? This is wrong," like Martin Luther King. Right? then he has to harvest support, not just within his group of people that think like him, but finding other people that have that commonality to say, okay, this is wrong and we can make this different. And then getting, inspiring them. So maybe it's through gospel music, you know, maybe it's a marathon, inspiring them to move towards that greater good or that greater goal where everyone benefits. And then, you know, before you know it, we've all changed, but we have to, with change management, you have to understand in the beginning who are those people that are going to be impacted and what are those impacts going saying. to be, right. right? And then you want to say, well, how can we help right. how can make we that a little less, you know, have less exactly. friction for mm -hmm. those people? And, exactly. and usually that's just talking to those people and mm -hmm. finding out, well, you know, why would this 
harm? Why would this be hard for you to 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 live through? Or are you talking about therapy here? Or it might be therapy. Sometimes co- it's or, or a focus group is work. therapy. Well, what what do you <laughs> yes. actually do? Are you yeah. a social worker or are you I'm not, a business consultant? I'm not a social consultant? worker. I, I work with a corporation. Is what, and what exactly is it? Well, are, are you a business consultant? I'm not a business consultant. I'm a, well right now. I'm an analyst, but I've worked in HR for years. And when, when you work in that, you, you learn about change management as a skill set. There's like certifications for it. And mm-hmm. you know, what's funny is that I'm all, I have this parallel universe in music, Another right? one, yeah. Yeah, right. but uh, you know, I see that, you know, right now the world is changing so fast and you have to be prepared for it. And if you notice, usually that's the big fear. People think that the way that they live, if this change happens and oh my God, that you know, everything I, that I know is going to change. And sometimes it's just talking to that person to yeah. say, you know what, this is what's really going on, and yeah. here's how it's going to benefit you. Right. And we understand how you feel because this is changing everything that you know. It's but help- look what's going to happen it's after helping it happens. people see past the what's changing that's right yeah. in front of their face and, and understand the why the it's why. changing. Right. And adding the what's in it for me. You sound like you're suggesting that you're trying to talk someone into something that they're not happy about. Well, yeah, they may not be happy about it, but well, you know, change, well, you're not going to always be happy. I think it's about happy. helping them see the vision of, of uh, exactly. the purpose of what's happening. It's like that quote, uh, the, the perfect civilization will be the one that plants the trees that they will never uh, find shade in. You know, it's for the next generation, so to speak. You know? but what are we actually practically talking about for practical purposes here? Like, what sort of a thing are you talking about? Well, Someone one is moving to a smaller office or getting paid less or... Well, so, so there's like adopting technologies or bringing in a new leadership or bringing in a new um, performance management structure, a new bonus structure. There's all kinds of changes happening in okay, the that's what I'm, So what I'm hearing is I'm going to get paid less. I'm going to work for someone I don't like. <laughs> no. Is yeah. that why you're trying no. Can, I, no. Grant, can I switch gears for a second? Because this is something that in my corporate uh, world <laughs> that I'm thinking about a lot. And one of the things, you know, we're all... We're trying to instill an environment of continuous improvement mm-hmm. and of growth and of education, and, and that's a change for... Go on, sorry. Oh, sorry. That was sign language. I didn't know what that meant. Anyway, so what I'm curious <laughs> about is, sign. as you come in as a change consultant or you come in uh, brand and culture a little bit outside of... I know you, you're also client-facing mm-hmm. analyst, but when you come in from outside of a team and try to implement a change, it doesn't stick. Right. That's my experience. Definitely. My experience is that if you don't get buy-in from uh-huh. the 22-year-olds that are starting and from the people right. that are a little bit older that are leading, totally. nothing focused. happens. You right. just bang your head against the wall. So I'm wondering how you confront that uh-huh. and encourage change when you're coming from outside of that dynamic. Well, so the first step in the process, and I'm sure you share the same thing, is... Um, the stakeholder consultation process. So when we go into an organization and they're facing a challenge or we're doing strategic planning or they're thinking about changing their commission structure, whatever it is, we most of the time will begin with talking to 360 degrees of the organization. So we're talking to leadership, we're talking to you know entry-level folks, we're talking to everyone in the organization. If they have a board, we're talking to the board, we're talking to users or customers, whomever is you know walking in the door every day and actually buying these services to see what is it that is going to be the best form of that organization in that person's point of view. 
And so after that process, which could be a month, it could be a six month process. We have done everything between five and 250 people in that process. And so then what you do is take the key themes and the insights that come out of that. There's some commonalities across all of those groups that you can identify and put little nuances on them so that they make everyone happy in the end. And so that's where you start your planning when you're planning for a big change for the future of an organization. And this is the sort of thing you do as well, Ariane? I've done some of it. Okay. <laughs> is, it like... a, is it a secret what you who you work for or something you can't say? It's like well, I'm not here as government. a representative of so the company. So we don't company. want to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't want you to Screw have that. a lawsuit or nothing. Isn't the change we see <laughs> often change that's not helping the powerless? You know? It's, exactly. it's change brought that's down from the powerful to disenfranchise the powerless. That's why we see pushback because rarely is there change that is actually altruistic. Are we and talking about society or are we talking about oh, I'm going to interject. I'm going to interject with a book I'm reading right now. The change that we are seeing that's put in front of our face is that change. The change that we're not seeing and not talking about right. is all the other change. It's, you know, bad news is news. Dad came home to his kids last night is not news, but that's good. So there's lots of things that are constantly changing that are making things better. People organizing, people doing things differently. But you're not going to hear about that on Fox News tomorrow night. You're going to hear about these guys did this to those people. What but, book was it that you were reading? Um, so I started to read The uh, Tower in the Square mm-hmm. by Neil Ferguson. Um, so that's where I'm starting to think about that. Gotcha. Hmm. Tower you know, in the Square? The Tower in the Square. What and what's that about? Is it a management or is it a culture? It's a. I mean, it's essentially history, okay. history and history. Okay. The history sub headline is "Networks in Power: From the Freemasons to Facebook." <laughs> uh, Actually, I take it back. That wasn't the book that it, it was. Uh, factfulness. That that was uh, the one that talked about good news or bad. News. Part of factfulness. If we're thinking about Freemasons and Facebook, aren't we thinking of the powerful manipulating the powerless, though? That's what all these conversations sound like to me. They sound like ways exactly what you're saying, Sirach, of talking people into doing things they don't really yeah, want to do that isn't for their own good, really. that are not set up to have an inclusive change process. You know? I mean, Walmart what did you is do? one of those... What did you do before you... Before? other people want to do. Did you have a real job at some point? That's a real job. <laughs> Before? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, mean um, I realize advising people is also a job, and that, yeah, you know, as much as you get paid for it, but did you actually have a job where you were one of these people who were... I worked in being... private healthcare in a small um, cardiology clinic, and then I worked at the Public Health Institute as um, an administrator on a grant to end diabetes in Louisiana. Okay, so, you have, tough, so you've had some thing. pretty hardcore jobs, like actual jobs. Yeah. So what did you think of people like you when you were a working person? Who um, would come in there and tell you what to do and make rah, rah, rah. Yeah, so they... It's funny because I ended up getting into the line of work I'm in now because of my previous experiences, because I felt powerless. And Makes the way sense. that we approach that by being inclusive does take a certain type of organization, a certain type of leader that says, I want to hear from everyone, from the bottom to the top and all the way across, right? So Trepwise is not a place for every single type of company. We're the place for a company that wants to create positive impact internally and externally. 
And so whether you're a for-profit, whether you're a non-profit, you can achieve that by being inclusive, by being understanding and by hearing and really digesting all of the opinions of your organization and creating a synthesis of the best path forward based on all of those opinions. Hmm. So in that way, you know, like I said, there are, there are companies where the leaders say, I'm going to tell you what to do, and you either do it or get out. Those are not the clients that we work with. Those are not the people that, that come to us. It's just not the right fit. You know, they might go, have you ever seen the movie Up in the Air, where George Clooney, like, flies around and is, yes. it's his job to, like, fire that people? That was a depressing fucking movie, right. wasn't it? So, yeah. in that case, that those leaders are not looking for input from their bottom-level employees. They're looking to get them off their payroll. So, it's it's a different kind of work that we do. That when was, you said the movie Up in the Air, I was thinking about the house with the balloons. Up. Oh. <laughs> that was a happy That's movie. That's a totally yeah. different situation. Love that movie. <laughs> I thought that too. That was a good movie. Yeah, we're more like the house with the balloons right. than George so, Clooney flying so around. So in your job, though, Sim, you're sitting there by yourself working. I mean, you're working for clients, obviously. You're, work, you're designing houses I'm and not. structures. What I am you, not working for clients. What, what are you doing? So our firm, I'm also not here on behalf of my firm, but I'm here on behalf of my firm mm-hmm. as always. So we are an integrated architecture and development company. I am an architect. I'm also a real estate development project manager. Okay. We don't have outside clients. Everything we do is on our own account. So we have a project under construction in downtown New Orleans right now on Carondelet Streets. 62 residential units and 20,000 square feet of ground floor retail. Adjacent to that, we've got the next project in New Orleans, which is 140,000 square foot new construction building. We've also got projects in... Alabama and Texas. I think what really makes us unique is that we're both owner, designer, and operator of all these buildings. Do you personally own any of this? Of course not. So you're you're working for this company. I work for this company. So you've bought into it because you're describing here that you're the owner, designer. They've got some really interesting things going on. And actually, I want to ask you about this this, um, like dorm-style co-living thing that y'all are doing. Okay, so tell us the name of the company first. It's called Wisnia. It's called Wisnia Architecture and Development. It's a second-generation architecture and development. And when you ask who owns all this, our owner, Marcel Wisnia. So Mr. Wisnia owns all this. Okay. So... Go on, Lauren. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to ask you about this this co-living dorm style for grown-ups stuff that's going on in that building. Yeah, so that is not on Crondelet. Oh, okay. It's called. We're calling it Two Saints, and that's because it's at the intersection of St. Charles and St. Joseph. Okay. So Two Saints. Um, And it was pretty straightforward after it was very complicated. Mm -hmm. People have been living informally with roommates since the dawn of time, whether that's, you know... People going on Craigslist together, that's not the dawn of time, towards the Barbizon Hotel in New York City at the turn of the last century, where young women who were moving to New York had a place to share a living environment and share a social community as they uh, got new jobs in the center of the city. What, the, what we're trying to solve with this uh, building is that buildings have not been built to intentionally share. They've been built for one or two people to maximize the amount of money they pay four beige box, mm-hmm. essentially. They haven't been built and designed with consideration to how architecture can influence community building. And so with this project, and because I work for a guy that is an architect and a developer and thinks a little bit differently and has a longer term vision than some of the other folks that you'll see, what we're doing is building a 218 bed co-living facility. I don't really call it a dorm, but I can understand why people would say mm-hmm. that. And every single bed in this building is priced that it will be affordable to the average person that lives in New Orleans. 
So there's a lot of like challenges that I'm very used to hearing about that. It's like, oh, so you're telling me I'm gonna rent a bedroom, bathroom, and closet, but I might not know who I share my unit with. People do that all the time anyways, but this opportunity is gonna make it better. So all these units, the bills are included, they're all clean, the furniture is all included, the pots and pans, the dishes, the silverware, all that's included. Yeah. The amenity package is more like a hotel than an yeah. apartment building. It's just, it's really interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about, change management. I mean, you're changing the way people think of, of living. Didn't and we used to call this a motel? <laughs> well, no, because a motel, you would be taking one room privately for one night or for some different amount of nights. So this is right. a motel that I'm going to lease for a month or a year. No, this is the exact same as when I moved to Washington, D.C. and found some roommates on Craigslist and didn't know who they were. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is just better than that. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's how's screening this? involved? Go on. Is there some screening in Of course. There? So okay. everyone so gets no. screened, background check, and financial check. By you. <laughs> Not, nothing <laughs> nothing a, by me. And I think that's that's a, that's a really good point. Who's doing that? So there is a company out of New York City called Common. And it's not like this is a thing only in New Orleans. It's happening all over the country. Sure. And it's not just New York and San Francisco where things are really expensive and it makes sense. It's also Chattanooga and Syracuse and places where it's a lifestyle, totally a lifestyle yeah. decision. So I'm, I'm seeing like three tiers of bed pods that surround a kitchenette. Is that what we're talking about? Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> not yeah, I mean, it would never compete here if it was that. Because New Orleans is not a coastal expensive market like that. It's got to, it has to make sense. Right. So I think why it makes sense here versus elsewhere is I share a shotgun house with my wife, right? This is a real wife. You actually do. I, You're not I, making this up. I'm actually, I'm not making any of this up, but I <laughs> am married and I do live in a shotgun house. Okay. And in a shotgun house in New Orleans, if you live with more than one person, there is no privacy, period, full stop. You have to walk through someone else's bedroom or even when you live with your wife, there's still no privacy any other way. You can't separate because the rooms all connect to each other. To go to the kitchen, you gotta go through all the rooms, right? So that's what everyone is experiencing. The other thing, they don't have any closets, they don't have any storage, and you share a bathroom with everybody else. So what we're doing in this place is everyone gets their own bedroom, their own bathroom, their own walk-in closet, there's some that are not walking, but they're big. And that's yours. That's totally private. That's typical as what you'd see at any new apartment building downtown. And people want that and they just can't afford it. So what we're doing is by dividing it up piece by piece, we're making it much more affordable. When you share a living room, dining room, kitchen, which is about two times as big as a conventional apartment building, and it's designed to have discrete zones. So if you're in the kitchen and I'm in the dining room and you're in the living room, we're all in one room, but we're there, there's enough space for us to do our own thing or to be together. Mm -hmm. and Sounds pretty cool. You know, mm -hmm. I, I will say that I recently changed roommates. I've been living at the same place in Mid-City for like four or five years now. I'm not in town a lot, so it's great. I don't have time to move is what I like to say, but it's also a great spot, and our bedrooms are in a shotgun, but they back up, so, you know, we have more or less the best privacy you can get in a shotgun. But what I did notice and what I wanted to get to is my last roommate um, was hanging out with his girlfriend a lot more. He wasn't around. And now I have a roommate who's around more, and it's kind of fun to hang out with him. I imagine this commune style, it's like, oh, my dude's over there. Oh, you know, I was hanging out with her the other night. Let's get a coffee. You know, you just, there's a little more Yeah, so camaraderie. that pretty interesting. I want to jump in on, on that, because that point's really important. We have a bunch of uh, multifamily apartment buildings that we have designed around the country. And when you live in a regular apartment building, you have a hallway, and you walk into your apartment, right. and you never meet right. anybody. Right. When you live in New Orleans, not only are you meeting the people you're living with, you're hanging out on your front porch, 
Cheers. Good, Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. Meeting all your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you live downtown an apartment building, it shouldn't be any different. So this building has been designed so that every unit has a little front stoop. It's not huge, but it's talking exactly like about that. that. That's a great idea. So everybody gets a balcony. So not it's oh yeah, it's I don't it's a front stoop, a little seating area in front of the apartment that opens to a courtyard. And the idea is exactly what you said. If you end up getting to know the people you're living with, you want to stay and be a part of the community. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just chasing the lowest rent or the coolest amenities. This is a super cool idea. It's called Two Saints. Yes. Okay, talking about saints, do we have another song from... That's a perfect segue. Ariane Kim. My gospel roots right now. (laughs) What are you going to play We're talking about community and saints. I'm going to do a hymn. It's going to have a little beat to it. It's called God Has Smiled on Me. Have y'all heard that one? I don't think so. No. Andrew good. can More do education today. Andrew That's can good. do backing vocals for you. And, and, and it's easy, so feel free to sing along. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Pick it up a little bit. I got Reggie Nick on the keys. Oh, God has smiled on me. He has set me free. Smiling. What does he look like? He's smiling on me. He's got always. <laughs> He's happy. in the wind. Is he smiling constantly? He's always happy. I feel like that. You, you know, think? I, I is, feel like he? is your God on always me. happy, Sim? I want him to smile on me. Is yeah, yeah. Is it the same God? He's been good. Absolutely, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, maybe. He's been good to me. Grant, you seen those shirts that say "God is a black woman"? I have not seen those shirts. No. They're around. Is it, Speaking of, can I just say oh, happy yes. Black History Month, everybody? Amen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For that. And I hope you guys will come and see me at Jazz Fest. Okay, to tell us where we can Please. see you, because we're going to have to get out of here in a second. So where Absolutely. do we find you? First of all, you can find me at Ariane Keelan. That's A-R-R-I-A-N-N-E, Keelan, which is K-E-E-L-E-N. I'm, I have my own website. I'm on Facebook. 
You can put in Ari Key on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And then I will be at Jazz Fest. This is my second year. I'm super excited. The first day is Locals Day. So if you're local, come out and see yeah, me. Thursday, I'm going to be at 12.05. The 25th April. of April. That's going to be the best day. That's your Jazz birthday. It's your birthday? Yes. Hey. Can you, get up, can you get up on stage? With our own. I'll what be like, Lauren, hey, yeah. shout out what to Lauren. It's her birthday. I'm going to be in the gospel tent. The gospel tent. This at, is the 50th noon. year, y'all. So wow. yeah, I'm right. like really excited. Mahalia Jackson, like, come on. Oh, yeah. 50 years. And I get to be on that stage. Mm. So this is so, Thursday, the 25th of Thursday, April, which is going to be the only April. good day to go to Jazz Fest. That is the frankly. locals' day. It's the <laughs> yeah. cheapest day. It's if you're yeah, local. And so please, y'all, check the, me out. It's the first Thursday this year, not the middle Thursday, which is the Rolling right. Stones. This is a new day. Yeah, they this added is the this first day. day. This is not the Rolling Stones day. This is going to be the greatest Jazz Fest day in 50 years, probably. Yeah. Yes. i got to go to that. Yeah. I'm like, I would you be there be at 12 o'clock for that. Yeah. Come see me, come see me. Okay, cool. And check me out on all social media. And please go see my video, you know, like me, follow me, buy my single. Okay. I'm independent right now, so. All right. The support well, it's counts. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Ariane Keelan. It's been great meeting you, too. We've heard all about you over the past little while. Yeah, Monique Pyle, our music director, told me that you're an awesome genius. And, oh, and she she's is so right. sweet. You have a great voice. Thank you. And it's yeah. been great to find out what's going on in the cross world. I mean, it's an interesting doorway that yeah. we can, you know, all of us can walk through and check out more door. about it. Thank you so yes, much for being here. That's my goal, to be the door. <laughs> and Lauren Siegel has been here as well, who's the, yeah. currently the director of brand and culture at Tripwise. But maybe you'll be promoted beyond that. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe I'll be... What's uh, the next step up? The evil genius of Trapwise. I don't know. <laughs> Someone's got to be in charge of that place. What happens right? after you become director of brand and culture, which was only three weeks ago? What, what, were you surprised well, by that promotion? Or were you um, expecting Kind of, sort of, not really. Right. Yeah. You thought it was I wasn't about? expecting a title for it. Okay. <laughs> I was just expecting, hey, you do this. <laughs> All right. Cool. More money? So. <laughs> you get paid more, right? I do not. No. <laughs> you need to talk but, about but change, talk about change well, management. So I can't complain too much. You could do some change <laughs> management on that. You see, that's what I mean by this whole culture. This is this whole thing where they talk you into doing what they want you to do, but they don't actually reward you for it. It's about what's and really somehow you you've just her. totally drunk the cool aid. We get very well rewarded what's for you do. Work. What's yeah. that? What's the reward for her? Okay, that's see, a good way so of looking at it. She may be getting the best reward more for than her. just money. Hi. Life is not just all about money. And we see that with generations. That. Right. And people have different reasons. Yeah. So. We get Maybe. opportunity to grow the company. So. Maybe you'll go to heaven. It's enough yeah. for her. Trapwise on the moon. All right. Okay. <laughs> and Sim Ward, do we call you Simcha really? Or? That'd be great. That's the, most people call you that? Uh, no. But, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm used to hearing everything under the sun, so I'm cool. With What's it. the most common misconception? Simcha? Simcha is the most common. Right. Yeah. That sounds cool, actually. I'm good with it. You know, I complained once that I didn't have a nickname, and then someone turned around <laughs> to me and said, everyone calls you Sim. Isn't that a nickname? I said, oh, yeah. I guess that, I guess that. It is totally a nickname. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's been great to meet We didn't really get to talk too much about... Uh, That's okay. ...about the changing face of downtown New Orleans. We don't have to talk about that, but I do want to thank my old neighbor for inviting me to be here and to meet all of you guys. It was super fun. Your old neighbor is Graham DePonte, our producer. Oh, that's great. So you got out of that neighborhood. You used to live next door to her. I reluctantly got out of it. Um, I'm rude today, and I'm looking forward to moving back as soon as I can. Where are you you living now? I love where I live now, too. I live uh, in Bywater, between a triangle of uh, wonderful 
bars, like Vaughn's, BJ's, J&J's. I'm just right in the middle of all of them. Nice. That's a cool spot as well. Talk about happy hour in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah really. Great. Hey, happy hour today has been brought to us by Basics on Magazine Street near Jefferson Avenue, where you can get a fine lingerie, <laughs> and you can get a full range of fashion swimsuits, workout, and yoga clothes as well. You can also thank Hangover Destroyer, the only all-natural product medically proven to prevent a hangover for bringing us today's show. You can go to hdestroyer.com, which is their website, and write happy hour on the coupon code and get 30% off of Hangover Destroyer so you too can seize the door. And thank you as well to the Positive Vibrations Foundation who create and encourage community through the development and preservation of the arts, music, culture, and heritage. And if you'd like to be a member of our Patreon family, you can not just listen to this show on a weekly basis, but you can get all sorts of other additive things as well, which C-Rock here is in charge of, and Asher Griffith, who has put this whole thing on Facebook Live today, can send you extra stuff to find out about that. Go to patreon.com and search for It's New Orleans Happy Hour. And thank you very much to Ariane Lauren and Sim for being here, and Andrew Duhon as well, of course. That's been Happy Hour. And to Reggie Nick, who refuses to say a word. Thank you very much. Very nice piano it's playing. The producer producer of our show is Graham DePonte, your old neighbor. Our associate producer is April Love Stolten. Our music producer is Monique Pyle and Christian Unruh. Thomas Walsh is our technical director. Our Facebook live feed director is Asher Griffith. Our fact checker and social media connector is Andrew Searock. Searock. And our theme music was typically written and being played by Mitch Forney. But today, Reggie Nick is making something up as we go. Has this got a name or it's just improvised? If you'd like to be on our show and you can drink alcohol for an hour while sitting upright in a chair, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. It's neworleans.com. We can also hear many other hours of Happy Hour that we've recorded previously as well. Some other shows you make around here, including Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciutti, live from Commander's Palace, Louisiana Eats, with Poppy Tucker, and our award-winning podcast about death called Death the Podcast. Check that out, Ariane. You might find that interesting because it's also hosted by somebody called Ariane. You can find other great Louisiana podcasts at itsacadiana.com and it's batonrouge.la. You can keep up with us on a bunch of time-sucking social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all of it. We're called It's New Orleans, and you can find photos from this show in all those places as well as itsneworleans.com. Those photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Should I slow it down, Reggie? Sound a bit more. It's coming up right on. Two minutes past the hour. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, thank you for subscribing to us and take a moment if you've got one to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. If you're listening to us on Spotify, you can follow us and get Happy Hour delivered to you each week. This show was recorded live today at Wayfair on Fred Street in Uptown New Orleans. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duhon, myself, everyone around at the table here at Wayfair and back at our office at INO Broadcasting, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Grant Morris. We'll see you back here next week more happy hour. <laughs> nice going, Richie. Thank you.